Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Brene Brown once said, It's hard to practice compassion when we're struggling with our authenticity or when our own worthiness is off balance. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And I'm Jonathan, and that different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us today. This is a call-in format. We are caller-friendly, so let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. And I know you're there. Hey, Rick, how are you? I am here. Okay, you were just frozen there for a second. So what's happening? What's our topic topic, topic for tonight? Is compassion wrong? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 9, seeing the people yeah okay seeing the people he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd i'm sorry folks jonathan froze up there and you could hear him he was trying to get the words out but actually he was speaking just fine it was it's the connection that was a little frozen (laughs) you sound like you're back now good okay so It's about compassion, and again, the question is, when is compassion wrong? So, when you think of compassion, what do you picture? Perhaps you see Jesus healing the multitudes or volunteers caring for victims of some natural disaster. Perhaps you see an individual patiently working with a disabled person or a soldier protecting children in a war-torn region. Perhaps compassion makes you think of doctors without borders or food drives for the hungry. Whatever it is, Thinking about compassion probably makes you think about the best of humanity. It probably makes you think about that glimmer of hope that says we can get along. Now, when you think about compassion, do you ever see yourself in the role of the compassionate? Wouldn't you like to be in that role? So, just what does it take to become a truly compassionate person, and most importantly, what are the limits of compassion? Are there times when compassion is not appropriate? So, Jonathan, kind of an interesting topic uh, to put on the table tonight. It really is, Rick. And one of my observations on the title of compassion is it's made up of two different words. Uh, The first is compass, and the second is passion. And so I was thinking about that. The compass points us in the right direction, and we should have passion to want to help someone. Yeah, and and it's kind of interesting because those two words, they overlap in the middle of the word, but it gives you a sense of, yeah, there's a direction for our passion. And what is it supposed to be, and how is it supposed to work? And that's really what we want to uh, discuss uh, today. So, Jonathan, in order to do that, we had to bring somebody in to help us with this conversation. Oh, I'm so glad you did. <laughs> so we have got Joy here with us. Uh, and uh, Joy, good evening. Good evening. Good to have you with us. 
Um, so, Joy, just give us a sense of who you are, why you're here, and what kind of, uh, well, let's just say, well, let's start with what kind of relationship have we m- maybe had throughout the past, I don't know, my entire lifetime? <laughs> well, I happen to be your sister. <laughs> That's pretty important, don't you think, Rick? I think it is. So you've known me for a very, very long time. Yes, I have. So folks, if you want to know anything about me, just let us know and let Joy answer for you. <laughs> wait, yeah, wait, maybe not. I have lots not. to say. Maybe not. Anyway, Joy, give, give us a little bit of your own background and then what what is it that got us to talk about this particular subject? Well, I... I'm a part of a family business now. I married into this business over 30 years ago. And um, I started out, and this will all fit in soon. You, know, Everyone will understand. But I started out grading lumber and pulling on the green chain. So you and work then, at, at a lumber company type of At place. a lumber company, okay. yes. Yes. And um, when I was pregnant with our daughter, my husband's and my daughter, my belly was getting too big and got in the way of being able to pull on the green chain. So I started doing other jobs like making lunches for family members that also were working in this business. So things kind of kept changing. And as a little bit more time went on, I learned how to do the bookkeeping. And then as time went on, I got more involved in personnel issues and uh, to be part of even educational and team building presentations that we give our employees when we all meet once a month together. And now at this point, I am in charge of all personnel issues. And that includes hiring and which is also the interview process as part of this. It includes discipline for our employees when it's necessary. Uh, It includes firing, which is very interesting, um, (laughs) and documenting everything in the whole process of what happens. So this job is way out of my comfort zone. All right. Now, now when she says it's way out of her comfort zone, folks, it's way (laughs) out of her comfort zone. I know my sister, the idea of having to hire, interview and hire, and then potentially fire somebody is just not when you look at her, when you listen to her, when you watch her life, that's not what you picture. Yes. I do not like conflict. I want to be everybody's friend. I would rather (laughs) overlook an issue and put off dealing with it. And I'm good at sweeping things under the rug. And in fact, I can tolerate lumpy rugs for quite a while. (laughs) I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I want us all to be friends. And as a young girl, I wanted to be a nurse. I just wanted to help people. <laughs> All right. So here you are hiring and firing. And so so just give us a, a very short sense of what's the dilemma that brought on this particular conversation uh, for this particular podcast? Well, um, it was a situation that um, I got very emotionally involved in. And uh, my compassion just really... Went into overdrive. And it, it was too much for you? It was too much for me, yeah. It oh. had effects. Okay. So you, there was a dilemma in terms of doing a job that's outside of your comfort zone. So folks, look, if you're in that kind of situation, there's something that you can relate to. And now, how does all this re- come back to compassion? How do we boomerang it back to understanding compassion? Let's, Jonathan, let's go to a soundbite first. This is a compassion test. It's what would I do? Uh, this is from DonCrawley.com. And he gives a quick little example, 
And it's, it's a stark example in that you, you hear it and you think, oh, what would I do in that kind of a situation? So let, let's listen to this. Earlier this fall, an assisted living home in California was shut down by its owners, leaving many of its elderly residents with nowhere to go. The staff members left when they learned they weren't being paid, except for the cook, Maurice Roland, and the janitor, Miguel Alvarez. Roland and Alvarez decided on their own to stay and care for the residents, some of whom had dementia. They made a personal sacrifice to take care of their fellow humans until the sheriff and fire department took over several days later. Roland and Alvarez both showed extraordinary compassion and empathy for the residents. When I heard the story on NPR, I felt like I was punched in my gut. I wonder what I would do in a similar situation. Would I stay and care for the residents? Or would I assume someone else would be there to take care of them and go on my way? That is a really, really big question. Would I be the one to stay and say, okay, you know what, I may not get paid, but these people need help, and I'm going to put myself in a position to help them. That's a hard thing. You know, you're, you're not getting paid, and you're like, what, what do you do? So that's a great question to sort of lay out as a, as a, as a foundation background for our discussion uh, to, today on, on compassion. So, so, Jonathan, what does compassion mean? I know we talked about a compass and passion, but let's go to the dictionary, and then let's take a look at um, some very specific words in, in, the, in the scriptures. It means, Rick, sympathetic consciousness of others' distresses together with the desire to alleviate it. All right. Sympathetic consciousness of somebody else's distress. So you have a consciousness and you really feel for that person's dilemma. And Joy, that's the, fe- the feeling that went into overdrive. Exactly. Because that's, yes. that's who you are. That's, and the, the idea of entering into others' difficulties, that's something you've always been very, very, very um, acutely aware of in, in your life, even as a, as a young, much younger person. So, but it's not just sympathetic consciousness. It's a desire to alleviate whatever the pain is, a desire to reach in and to help and to give a hand up and, and, and a hand out or a hand around or just do something to help. And folks, look, I'm sure that all of us have had examples in our lives where we, we know that feeling and we've had experiences where we maybe couldn't help and you feel that sense of, of loss of, did I fail? Uh, or perhaps it has a, a, a different reaction on you. So with that, just as a basic, basic background, Jonathan, let's focus on the compassion of Jesus in the New Testament because it's really fascinating when you look at compassion and how it's built in the New Testament and beginning to study this it did not come out the way I thought it would. Okay, the scriptures had a different idea than I did going in, so obviously I had to change my mind. And Rick, the New Testament definition is very unique and interesting, isn't it? Yeah, go ahead. What is it? To have the bowels yearn, that is, feel sympathy or to pity. To have the bowels yearn. Now, I don't know. Do we want to dwell on that too much? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. (laughs) But see, the interesting thing is we we put the Greek-English lexicon in with this because it says the bowels in ancient times were thought to be the seat of love and pity. And you think, well, wait a minute. When you think about the bowels yearning, look, we don't think of love and pity. I'm sorry, okay? 
<laughs> but what, when you think about it, it's that feeling deep down in the pit of your stomach. And I think that's what it's drawing us to. So it has this deep-seated reaction that is physiological. And that is the word that's used for the compassion that Jesus showed. So it's, it's very powerful. It's very profound. And again, if you can get past the idea of the bowels, I mean, and you think of that <laughs> deep-seated physiological reaction to someone else's hurt or pain, that's what true compassion is. And that's the way Jesus had his compassion described in Scripture. So, so let's go through a few examples of Jesus' compassion in Scripture. Uh, let's start with Matthew fifteen thirty-two. Then Jesus called his disciples unto him and said, I have compassion on the multitude, because they continue with me now three days and have nothing to eat, and I will not send them away fasting, lest they faint in the way. So Jesus' compassion caused him to feed the people. It caused him to satisfy their immediate need. So, so now, Joy, in terms of just compassion and the sense of that, when you picture Jesus doing that, what, is it, what does it look like in your own mind in, in that particular instance when he's feeding either the four or the 5,000? Well, I, I picture, again, with this idea of the depth of feeling, Jesus really entered into what it was like for these people to travel a long way on the dusty roads, they were with him, they were hungry. He really entered into their experience and he cared about it. And so he acted. So, and that's the point. He acted and he was able to satisfy their need, their immediate need he was able to take care of with a miracle. And, and there were two cases where he fed the multitudes. There was one with the 4,000 and one with the 5,000. In both cases, he started with almost nothing and ended with leftovers. So you have this deep-seated yearning and, and identifying with the hunger of the people that Jesus is described as hap- having, and then he fulfilled that need. And you know, We'd Rick, love- we're- uh, Go ahead, Jonathan. Go ahead, Jonathan. We'd love to hear from you right now. We're live. You can uh, send us a message through your app, or you can email us at christianquestions.com, or... Uh, discuss something on the chat board, and we will try to put it on air. Yeah, no phone calls tonight, folks. With a guest, sometimes the phone does not work that well, so we don't want to uh, take a chance on it it blowing everything up. So, Joy, go ahead. Yeah, I was just thinking, and Jesus knew what hunger was because remember his 40 days in the wilderness. So he had experienced that as a human being. Right, right. So, So you've got that sense of... He satisfied their immediate need. He had compassion. Let's go to the next scripture, because there's actually four examples we want to get to, and we have about three minutes left here. Mark six thirty four. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. All right, so in the first example, Jesus feeds them to satisfy their immediate need. In this example, he has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, and so he teaches them to fill the pressing void in the people's lives. So his compassion, his deep identifying with the people, had him feed them miraculously and then teach them spiritual things. And let's just move on to the, to the next one, and, and Joe, we'll get your comments as we go after we get through all four. Matthew 14, 14 is another example of Jesus' compassion in action. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude 
and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed they're sick. All right, so this time, Jesus' compassion caused him to heal the many who were sick. So what he did is he lifted off, he lifted away their immediate trial. He took it out, he took it off of them. He took their blindness away so they could see. He took their deafness away so they could hear. So we have him feeding the people, teaching the people, and healing the people. One more example of Jesus' compassion in action, Luke seven thirteen. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense until you know the rest of the story. That's the widow of Nain, and her son had died, and they were marching him down the street in the funeral procession. Jesus interrupts the funeral procession. This is her only son. He sees her grief, and he restores life to this, to this young man. So he replaced this woman's grief with great joy. So, bottom line, Jonathan, is what, in terms of Jesus' compassion? Well, Rick, Jesus' compassion always led him to the decisive action of lifting people out of their immediate lack or trial or grief. His compassion always produced a beneficial result. All right, so, Joy, you look at that, and that defines Jesus. His compassion always produced uh, immediate and important results. How does that fit into your your own story? Yeah, that's what I want to do. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> yeah, these. I mean, I am so inspired to see how he was able to zero in on what the need was, and he was able to immediately find a way, express it in some action, and it did at least give the opportunity for alleviation of the problem and most of the time i mean all these examples he did he he the problem went away yeah yeah so he literally took the problem the immediate problem away in every single one of these examples that's the compassion of jesus that's the result of that deep gut-wrenching movement on his part and Rick, he's really showing us this is where my kingdom is going to bring you. Right, and, and, and we, we're going to need to develop that a whole lot more as we uh, move forward with this. So, Jonathan, as we wrap up this particular segment, it's about looking at Jesus and the amazing ability he had to take that feeling and make it real. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Joy. And today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? Coming up, we follow in Jesus' footsteps. Shouldn't our compassion produce beneficial results as well? That's next. And see, that's Joyce's whole question right there. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by sending us a message off your app or emailing us at christianquestions.com. We will not be taking live calls uh, tonight because of our special guest, Joy. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and any time at christianquestions.com. All right, so, uh, Jonathan, before we move forward, um, I got handed a question here that needs answering very desperately. Uh, Joy, what is a green chain? 
Oh. It says that you were pulling a green chain until you got too pregnant to pull the green chain. Like, what the heck is that? Yeah, the, the chain is not green. It's, it's, um, it's a device where lumber is transported and moved, and you pull the lumber that's sitting on the chain off the chain, and you grade it and put it into different piles. So you worked so on a chain gang. Chain. Huh? <laughs> I said you worked on a chain gang. No. no. <laughs> this, is a, this is a lumber company, right? Okay. All right. All right. So with that in mind, again, folks, just to, to give you a sense, Joy is my sister and her natural way of being is to be that very compassionate, loving, want to help everybody, want to help people solve their problems type of a person. She has been put into a position in the company where she works, where she is now in charge of all personnel, which is hiring, interviewing, uh, troubleshooting personnel problems, and firing people. And trust me when I tell you, for Joy to have to fire someone or to tell them, no, you cannot work here or something like that is a really difficult thing for her because it's completely opposite of her character. So Joy, you're, you, you, the dilemma was you're in this job position that was very contrary to you, to, you, to your, your nature. What, what happened with that? What's your reaction to, to being in that position? Okay, so actually there was a specific experience that I had a couple months ago. Um, we were in the process of possibly dealing with a new hire. I'm gonna call him Gary. He was a young man. He had a lot of courage to save up his money, to travel to the Midwest and then to the Northwest, which is the area I live in. And he was looking for a job that would fit his passion. And when his various attempts didn't work out, he responded to an ad he saw online from our company. Well, my husband ended up talking with him for quite a while saw his values, his desire to work, was very impressed with him. And I phoned his references and he, and I had the privilege of speaking with a family member who owned a business that he worked for for quite a while. And this relative reported how about the great work ethic he had and he was reliable and responsible. And he also shared that this young man had gone through some hard experiences. He talked to me a bit and he was concerned and asked what kind of business we had. And when I explained our values and our business, he actually felt good that this young man might hire on with us. Well, then this, this, this um, relative said with a very much emotion in his voice, please watch out for him. He's such a great kid. Well, that affected me quite a bit but that, in any case that would make you cry I, right there and that just yeah <laughs> well i felt a connection with the relative and right. i felt a connection with gary though i had never even met him yet right. yeah no that's you anyway <laughs> yeah so gary flew in to see us we interviewed him uh he was evaluated by a health and safety coach that we use and he did not do well on that evaluation and i had to tell him that his job this job would just not work for him. He was devastated and I was devastated. I mean, we both had some tears. In any case, um, it was very soon after that that I talked with you on the phone, Rick. Yes, you did. And I shared my struggle because I was feeling so bad and it was taking a lot out of me. And I shared with you that I was so upset that I couldn't sleep and I was praying, but he didn't know what to do. 
And you said, <laughs> you made an observation that really shocked me. And you said that I needed to watch my circle of compassion because my circle of compassion could be a circle of destruction. And I'm like, what? <laughs> that was like really foreign to me. And because I always assumed compassion was a, a good thing, okay. no matter what. All right, so let, let's pause there because there's a lot more to the story. and We're going to get to it as the program unfolds. But understand that when, when Joy called me and we had this, this conversation and Jonathan, she was emotionally not in a good place. I'll just leave it at that. And, and, and you know, the, the stress level was really, really high and the anxiety was overwhelming. And so we're having this conversation and talking about compassion. And it is a good thing. Compassion is a good thing. So how do you get to the point where you're, you have so much anxiety because you have so much compassion? We need to figure that out. So let's pause the story and let's look at um, how the the word used to describe Jesus' compassion. Remember, Jonathan, it was that deep yearning from the from the bowels, bowels right? Yeah, from from the from the inside of that human being. Um, that word for compassion in the scriptures is never applied to us as Jesus followers. And, and really, yeah, and, and and you know when I saw that, I, I never never realized that. Right, and well, neither did I actually. And I looked at it and I thought, wait, 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 how can that possibly be? So now you have to look at, well, how is our compassion described? And once we understand how our compassion is described, and we look at how Jesus' compassion was described, then we can begin to put this puzzle together as to how do we manage our compassion so it does not become a circle of destruction. So, um, the, the, the point is, the compassion that D Jesus displayed is above our pay grade, okay? He had an ability that we simply don't. It's he could a, read the heart, couldn't right. he, Rick? It's above our pay grade for now, all right? So our compassion has limited influence. We need to understand the limits for it to be effective. And, Joy, your conversation with me, that's what it, that conversation did for both of us, is it helped us get the limits of what compassion really is. And that's why we decided to do a podcast on it. Um, and, Joy, you know, the, the, the comment that I made to you about the circle of destruction— uh, was not something that I just, you know, came to me in a, in a flash of lightning. It, we had just, I think, what, a week or two before done, done uh, a podcast on January 2nd called What Should I Be Doing Differently? That's right. And in that podcast, we were quoting from a book written by Weldon Long. It's, the book is called The Power of Consistency. And he talked about circle of influence and circle of concern. And he made a big deal of that, and that made a really big impact on me. So when you called, it was like, oh, this sounds just like that. So it's not like I'm that smart. It's like I just remembered. <laughs> okay. So, so let, let's, before, Joy, before we get back to your comments, let's <laughs> touch on, because I know she's like, she's ready to go. Okay. But I want to I lay the groundwork of this circle of influence and circle of concern thing, because that helps us understand compassion. Let's review something that we um, went through in that, in that podcast. Okay, so to better invest my time, to maximize my experiences, I need to understand how to focus on my circle of influence and not my circle of concern. What does that mean? The Apostle Paul's conversion. Let's use that as a quick example. Remember Saul, that's his name before he became the Apostle Paul, was forcibly shown the error of his ways and he repented. Ananias, the Christian brother who would be sent to Saul, didn't need to be forced. He simply needed faith because Saul was actually after Ananias to put him in jail. 
So we're going to drop in on this event when Jesus appears to Ananias in a vision in Acts chapter 9, verses 10 to 15. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. All right, so you have a simple command from Jesus in this vision to Ananias. He says, okay, get up, go to a specific street, look, look at the house of a man named Judas, and you're going to find a, a, a guy for a, a guy named Saul. He's from Tarsus. He's praying. So Ananias is given this very simple, very straightforward, very detailed command. Now, this task falls with Ananias' within his circle of influence because it's a job that he can do. He's got the ability and the influence to be able to do the job. But there's a problem, and the problem is the guy he's supposed to go talk to is the very guy he's probably hiding from. What are you supposed to do with that? So Ananias, in a very spiritually sound way, asks the question. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And he, here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. So here we're seeing Ananias's circle of concern. He's saying, Lord, are you sure you have the right Saul of Tarsus? Because this is the guy who is coming to round us all up. Are you sure? So his circle of influence was given a job. His circle of concern says, I'm not sure I should be doing this job. And he is now having undue anxiety about this because he's got a legitimate concern. And he's just, he's seeing it and he's questioning, saying, I don't think I want to get out of my house right now. As a matter of fact, I think I want to leave out the back door and go the other direction because this doesn't sound right. So what's the end result? What does Jesus tell him in this vision? But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. So Jesus answers him unequivocally. And, and there's, three, there's three really basic points, Jonathan. Let's, let's go through these quickly. Jesus answers, allays his concern, and helps Ananias to focus on that which he could influence. So he says, okay, your concern, I, I get it, your concern is noted, but you can still do what you are supposed to be doing, what you have influence over. What's next? Ananias walks in faith, applies his influence, and does the job. This was a defining moment for both of them that would lead to the canceling of his circle of concern regarding Saul. Because remember, after he got to see Saul and got to talk to him, well, what, what was the first, how did, how did Ananias address him? Brother Saul. So his concerns rapidly shrunk back to within his circle of influence because he had the reassurance of Jesus himself. And that's a powerful lesson for how to manage our concerns. And what's the third point? Applying ourselves to that which we can influence works. Okay, and that's the point that we want to start to, to develop here uh, in terms of Joy's story and, and compassion. So our time is only well invested when we're focusing on our circle of influence, and our time is wasted, never to be retrieved, when spent focusing on our circle of concern. And I want to go to a soundbite, Joy, and then we're going to go back to your story and just 
putting what we just talked about in the context of your own story and experience. Because it's interesting in this in this soundbite, what drew me to it is it's called hum, uh, the, the Circle of Compassion" by Abby Lammers, and she's talking about a, a circle of compassion. And I thought, huh, okay, that's kind of what we're trying to, to discuss. So let's hear what she has to say. The term "human" is more than just a designation of a species. So what is this humanness? Well, it's a function of what I call your circle of compassion. The circle of compassion is simply the range of people that you care about. For something like a tree, something incapable of complex thought, that only extends to the tree itself. As complexity increases, the range also increases. A duck cares not just for itself, but also for its offspring. An elephant might care for itself, its offspring, and the other elephants in its herd, maybe even all of the elephants it's ever met. But humans... Well, humans are something special. Humans have the ability to expand their circle of compassion to encompass not just their children, not just the people they know, but all of humankind. And we don't stop there. We have the capacity to care about all of the creatures on our planet, present and future. So that's a pretty big circle of compassion. I enjoy that. Frankly, that just reminds me of you, you know, in, 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 your, in your approach to life. So now let's get back to your particular dilemma. This young man, what, what was his name? Gary. Gary is what I'm calling him. Is uh, he, he comes, he travels a far distance to come to interview for a job with your company. He's, he's recommended, but he doesn't pass a specific series of tests that he needs to pass. And yes. you can't hire him. Yes. So, so here I go ahead. I'm face to face with his deep disappointment and I cannot take that disappointment away from him. It's impossible. Um, and I talk to him and I try to, you know, encourage him, but I this is a disappointment and I just took on that those feelings and didn't know what to do with them. So they, they literally, literally were too much for you. Yeah. Um, and I just want to make a comment on this circle. You know, it reminds me, you're, you're talking about with the circle, um, the circle of concern versus the circle of influence. It reminds me of that first Peter scripture, casting all your circle of concern upon him for he cares for you. Yeah. Except <laughs> this, of course, casting all your care upon right, him. Right, right, But that's, and then we'll be talking about this, but that's part of the process. And that's what Paul um, Ananias had to do in facing right. Saul. He had to cast his circle of concern upon the Lord, knowing the Lord cared of him, cared for him, and everything fell into place eventually. But it's a challenge when you're in that mo those moments. I imagine Ananias being so afraid. He had reason to be afraid. Right. Absolutely. And in my situation. You know, just I was I was seeing how this was affecting this young man, and it was very difficult. And, and frankly, it was heartbreaking, because yeah. you're, he's he's wanting a chance, and he seems to have the, the 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 mental attitude to really make a chance work. Yes. But the issue was he just was not able to do what the job would have required him to do. I, that's what I'm get, gathering. Correct. Yes, it would not have been good for him in the long run. Okay, so it would have been detrimental to him. So you've yeah. got this dilemma, and folks, I'm sure you can identify with this kind of dilemma where there, there's a situation that arises, you want to do something, and somebody is just, they're looking ripe 
for what you can do for them. And you can't. And it's devastating. And, you know, just like you said at the end of the the, the, the previous segment, uh, you see the power of Jesus' compassion. And we're looking at that and saying, wait, wait a minute. Jesus did that. We, we're footstep followers of Jesus. We want to do what Jesus did. We want to we have our compassion expressed the way Jesus' compassion was expressed. But the scriptures don't, they don't let us. And it's weird. And you say, wait, wait, why wouldn't the scriptures let us? Well, there's a really good reason that we're going to need to begin to unfold. But see, uh, at this point, for the sake of our, our, our compassion conversation, we want to slightly redefine the terms we've been doing that. We've t- been talking about a circle of concern and a circle of influence. Well, we're talking about our circle of compassion. When it's larger than our circle of effectiveness, and it often is, Okay, we can have compassion for things far outside of areas where we can actually be effective in executing change. When our circle of compassion is larger than our circle of effectiveness, our circle of compassion is in danger of becoming a circle of distraction and destruction because we are now focusing on something that's bigger than us that we can't affect and influence on and it can absolutely, positively be a heartbreaking experience. So compassion has to be clearly understood. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Joy. And today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? Coming up. So if our compassion cannot be effective like Jesus' compassion, then what good is it? (laughs) That's next. All right, good question. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is When Compassion When Is Compassion Wrong? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by sending us a message on your app, or you can email us at ChristianQuestions.com. We're unable to take calls tonight. Don't forget to sign up for our CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider Weekly material. All right. So, Joy, in in your circumstances, this job that you do is way out of your comfort zone. It requires you to do things that you just don't like to do uh, and are not, frankly, you're not naturally good at doing. So you have to. You said it, Rick. (laughs) So you have to really work at being able to do that well, and and this particular experience really threw you for a loop. And uh, you and I had a phone conversation uh, back in January about this, and it was a very emotional conversation because this was such a distress for you. I and and I just can't describe that clearly enough. So you had to do some rethinking. Just walk us through what 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 had to happen there. Okay, well, first of all, I really was shocked by what you said. Uh, Again, how could my circle of compassion be a circle of destruction? But it also really fascinated me. And I prayed about it, and I kind of looked into Scripture. And part of what I started to realize is that this I do have similar patterns uh, from the past and other experiences that um, are very similar to this, but I just never put them in this category 
of that my compassion might somehow be an issue and how I was dealing. It just never clicked. So uh, I just, I, I realized part of my pattern is I really get caught up in the disappointments and struggles of other people. And it has a great effect on me. All right. Now, even, okay, just, just hang on one second. Folks, how many of us can easily identify that? We get caught up in the difficulties in other people's lives and we get consumed by them and then it ends up being a dead end because we can't change it. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. No, I, I, there was even another experience relatively recently. There was a very fine person that um, I was hoping to hire. And when he, we had this discussion in, in the interview and I realized that some of the decisions he had made in his life I realized it wasn't going to work and he was the same. I mean, he was so upset with himself. He was like, why did I do that? I'm so, I'm, I should never have done that. And it was in the way of hiring him. And I had the same, <laughs> this was in the same general time frame, And I had the same, um, the same reaction of intense uh, feeling for him but I had also this little insight that, okay, you know, I need to look at this and, okay, Lord, how can I deal with this in a different way? So it's a growing process and a learning process. Yes. And compassion needs to be learned. If you're going to be a Christian and you're going to apply Christian compassion, we really need to understand what it is. So let, let's get down to defining our Christian compassion. Jonathan, let's start with Hebrews 10. 32 to 34, because this describes, it uses the word compassion, but it's a very different word than is used to describe the compassion of Jesus. Go ahead. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly being made a grazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly becoming partakers with them that were so used. For ye both had compassion on them that were in bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your possessions, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. So the apostle in writing here is saying, look, you had compassion on those who were taken prisoner for the sake of Christ. You had compassion, and you, as a matter of fact, you took joyfully the spoiling of your own possessions because you know that your, your, your treasure is in heaven, essentially. So this word compassion, though, you had compassion on them that were in bonds. What does this word, this particular word, actually mean? Well, Rick, it means to feel sympathy with, that is, by implication, to commiserate. To commiserate. So when we commiserate with somebody— we are entering into the feelings of their difficulties, and we are feeling those things along with them with the desire to help them. That's what commiserating is. Now, there's a little difference between that. Actually, there's a big difference between that and the compassion that Jesus displayed. We're going to get back to the compassion of Jesus in a moment. But that gives us a sense of commiserate. And, Joy, I will say that you, in your compassion for these folks, you went far beyond just commiserating. Yes, it was a destructive being. I, I was touched with a feeling of what they were going through, but it was destructive. Well, and it sounded like you were almost trying to own what they were going through. Yes, yeah, I was confused. <laughs> <laughs> but see, we get like that, especially if that's the way we are wired. 
And so you can't say, oh, well, look, you know, grow up, will you? It's a matter of, no, let's understand that the compassion is good. It's powerful. It's important. And this is, you know, to commiserate, to walk along with is entirely appropriate for a Christian. Another word used for compassion for, for the Christian, for the follower of Jesus, is expressed in 1 Peter 3.8. Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. All right, so have compassion one of another. And again, what does that particular word mean? Well, Rick, it means having a fellow feeling, sympathetic, that is, by implication, mutually commiserative. All right, so to commiserate, that's not a word we use a lot, but to commiserate seems, seems to keep coming up. And the idea of commiserating is to enter in to someone else's experiences. It's entirely appropriate to do that, but you can't own their experiences. So that, that's a big part of this. One more um, word that is used for Christian, the follower of Jesus, the Christian's compassion, uh, and then we're going to get back to Joy. Some of your 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 methods of putting things in order in your own mind to keep from owning that which you shouldn't, but still having great and deep and powerful compassion. So, Jonathan, one more scripture that gives us a, a different sense of Christian compassion. That's First John three seventeen. But so, whoso hath this world's goods, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion for him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? There are the bowels again. And that's a very, very similar word to the word used for Jesus' compassion. And it says to shut up the bowels of compassion. And again, what does this literally mean? Rick, it means an intestine, plurally, <laughs> figuratively, pity, or sympathy. All right. So it can either mean your intestines or sympathy. Take your pick. <laughs> and again, it's that gut sense, that gut reaction that says, I'm hurting with you. I am not just being sympathetic, but I want to help you. I want to walk with you through this. That's true Christian compassion. So, so Joy, you, you needed to rethink the whole thing and to realize that your compassion in its, um, in its raw state was bringing you to a place that wasn't going to help anybody. Yes, so, that's right. So walk us through some of the scriptural rethinking that you did to help you say, okay, wait, I've got I've to reform this so I am not walking and working on a circle of distraction and destruction, but I'm actually working on something very positive. Yes, well, our discussion and then praying about our discussion led me to a really, a really powerful scripture for me on this, and it's Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Um, All right, so here, let's, let's read through it, and then, okay. and then you can take it apart. Okay, uh, Jonathan, let's, let's go through that. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. All right, so, Joy, as you go through this, first of all, my first observation is I don't see compassion mentioned in that scripture once. 
No, but there's some red flags to me that come up to help identify when feeling or anything else um, is an issue that we need to deal with differently. Okay, let's go through that then. So, in Hebrews, in the scripture we just read, the word encumbrance, when it says, let us lay aside every encumbrance, that word means weight or burden. Right. And when it says the sin that so easily entangles us in vines, it literally means standing easily around, easily encompassing, easily surrounding or encircling. And um, it's talking about running with endurance a race that's set before us. So if we're running a race with weights and burdens and obstacles that are surrounding us and around our feet, it's a hindrance to the race. And it's a hindrance to our spiritual life. This race is our spiritual life. And I just it just clicked with me. Okay, so if your depth of feeling is taking away your ability to run the race, if it's getting in the way, if it's distracting you, if it's distracting me from my faith in God and Christ to overrule the outcome, if it's causing undue stress, if I'm losing sleep over the issue, then I, this is a sign. This is a very strong sign that my circle of compassion needs adjustment somehow. Not that I want to, like it's talking about in that scripture, shut off my bowels of compassion. We don't want to shut you, off see, our feelings. See, now you want to keep your bowels moving, right? <laughs> you know what so, I mean. Well, look, that's what you just said. Feeling, I'm sorry. Right? <laughs> <laughs> look, but it, the, the scripture really put in place, and actually for anything, anytime distraction takes place in our life, it is a sign that there is a weight or a sin that is encircling us and burdening us. Okay, all right. So so let, let's take this apart. Jonathan, do you have a, a, a comment? No, no okay, no. all right. Um, let, let, let's... Let's go back over this. This is important. So what you're saying is, and I'm gonna, I want to take it in really small pieces. What you're saying is, okay, I am looking at my compassion and realize that my compassion, as it exists naturally in me, can actually be one of those things that tangles my feet up and trips me as I'm trying to run this race. Yes? Exactly. Yes. Okay. So, and when you think about it, you think of the way um, the, the people in ancient times in, in the in the times of Jesus think of the way they dressed and the robes that they wore and for someone to run in that type of a robe would have been a difficult thing because it's easy to get tripped up if you are going to run a race you have to pull it up and pull it tight around you so it's not f flopping all over the place our compassion if it brings us to that point of, of anxiety and stress is simply us not attending to being able to run our Christian race. So I think, I think that's, that's a, a first point here that's really, really important. Your compassion, as good as it is, and, and again, I, I want folks, I want to make sure we understand, we're not saying, well, stop being compassionate already. You know, and, and, and Jonathan... Um, you know, there was a there was an example that you had uh, mentioned to me the uh, yesterday about compassion, and you know, is it is is compassion wrong in this in this instance? You remember that with the medical thing? Uh, <laughs> oh yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, think think about um, a family member, a loving family member is dying, and you want to alleviate their pain yes and 
because of that compassion, that could lead you to do something wrong to help speed along their death so they're no, no longer suffering. Okay. So, and, and that's real life situation. Right, right. So now there, there's, there's two things that can happen there. One, you know, when people allow someone to pass away, that's one thing. But if you push it along and you increase yes. the medication beyond where it's supposed to go or something like that, that's another thing. And you can justify that and say, well, I'm helping them ease their pain and, 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 and misery. I'm being compassionate. And you're being illegal is what you're being. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so to allow someone to expire, if, especially you know if that's in their wishes and so forth, is entirely appropriate. But to push them along because of your compassion, and it's kind of similar, Joy. You know, in, in your situation, the compassion you had was causing an extra level of stress. And, you know, now when you were dealing with Gary, going back to the the original story that we're going to continue in the second hour, um, your reaction to him with him in front of him was, was one of, of real disappointment, wasn't it? Oh yeah. And he, he knew I was disappointed. I, I told him he knew what I was feeling because I, I thought that, you know, if I share and express what I'm feeling and he knows that this is hard for me too, and I really empathize with him, I thought that would maybe help him a little bit. Now, when you look back on that, sharing that with him, do you, do you think that actually was, was helpful for him? Um, I don't think anything helped him at the time. Okay. I mean, I... I think that he was in such a condition of disappointment that it was hard for him to hear what I had to say. I think it's possible um, looking back and there were other things we did that were signs to him that we really cared about him as a person um, that those things might have helped. I don't know, Rick. So my point is it's okay to be expressive in all of this. You know, we're not saying your compassion was wrong. That's not what we're saying at all. What we're suggesting is, according to Scripture, according to the way the compassion of Jesus is described to us, his compassion is described as that deep gut reaction and connection with those around him and his ability to fix, to lift, and to alleviate their circumstances. We can have the same bowels of compassion, but we can't fix or alleviate other people's circumstances. Rick, we can we can only identify, sympathize, and walk beside them. Right. It's very different than Jesus. See, the power of Jesus' compassion could lift them out. The power of our compassion brings us into their lives, and it can lock us in with them, and that's a good thing. But our compassion cannot bring them out. Something else has to bring them out. And that, I think, is kind of the main point we want to make for this, this first hour is that we have to understand compassion is good and it's powerful and it's necessary and it's wholesome and it and it does help others even if they can't see the help right then and there. But unless we are applying it with scriptural principles in mind, and in the second hour we're going to get into a whole bunch of scriptural principles on this, our compassion can actually be destructive. And Joy, that's what you felt like when you made that phone call to me that day in January. Absolutely. And I'm so grateful to have shared that with you and have gotten into this whole process of thinking and rethinking compassion. It's made such a difference. And, and so, you know, in, in this hour, folks, what, what we actually were able to do is look at, and, and 
to be honest with you, I never understood compassion this way before. I never saw the connection that Jesus had an expression of compassion that's beyond us because he could fix it. Now, when he fixed things, Jonathan, you made an allusion to this, and we'll get into it in the second hour. He fixed things. Everything he fixed was just temporary. It was, because we're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. We're going to get sick and die later. Right, right. So even though he raised Lazarus from the dead after he was dead for four days, as miraculous and wonderful as that was, Lazarus still died. Yes. So Jesus gave them a glimpse of something dramatic that was coming with his kingdom, but the fact is he had the power to fix things. We do not have such power in our hands. What we do have, though, is an ability to really, really work with and to express what the power of God is in a very different kind of way. And in the second hour, we're going to clearly define what that different kind of way is that our compassion can not only be expressed, but it can be effective. Can it do what Jesus' compassion did? No. Can it be effective? Yes. Can it have a positive impact on ourselves and the others? Yes. How do we do that? Folks, stay with us for the second hour, and we're going to attempt to put this all in order. For Jonathan and Rick, it's Christian Questions. We'll be back in just a moment. But until then, we are talking about a very important, a very human subject that touches all of us. When is or is compassion ever wrong? We'll be back in just a moment, but till then, think about it. Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Daniel Goldman once said, True compassion means not only feeling another's pain, but also being moved to help relieve it. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, tonight we have a really important subject on the table. We really do, Rick. Our question is, when is compassion wrong? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them, because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. So we're talking about compassion. We're looking at how it works. We've got my sister Joy on with us uh, because of some very specific experiences that she's had recently about learning about how to make compassion really work in a very, very positive manner. And we're going to get back to Joy and her experiences in just a moment. But first, Jonathan, let's recap three main points from the first hour. Well, Rick, Jesus' compassion always led him to the decisive action of lifting people out of their immediate lack or trial or grief. His compassion always produced a beneficial result. And you have to underline and circle and point to always. His compassion always changed things. What's next? Well, Rick, our compassion has limited influence, and we need to understand those limits for it to be effective. 
If you don't understand the limits of what you have, how can you possibly use such a tool? And compassion is a really powerful tool. So understand its limits so we can be effective with it. And what's next? Next, our compassion is deep and really sympathy with a power desire to be helpful, but it is not yet in a position of being able to lift others out of their immediate lack trial or grief so our compassion is deep and felt and genuine and real and powerful but we just don't have according to scripture the same ability to lift others out of their difficulty and their grief so so joy very very quickly recap the story with gary up to this point of you know rethinking it and putting it all in perspective yeah so we had set up an interview with the hopes of hiring this young man He traveled from the Midwest to the Northwest. He was looking for a job that would fit the passion of his life. Uh, We got a reference from a relative. I spoke with this relative, and this relative said, take good care of him. He's such a good kid. He shared some of the experiences that this young man had had that were difficult. And this man was so excited about the job, but he had a physical evaluation from a health and safety coach we use and the results were not favorable. And I had to tell him that we would not be able to hire him and he was devastated. And I was also. All right. And so you, in, in, in being devastated, you had to figure out, well, what do I do with this? Because this isn't helping. And so you ended up having to sort of reassess your, your view of your own compassion. Yes. And I have a new approach. There's a few things that we'll be talking about. Um, But one of the first ones, it just is so obvious, but it is asking what's in my power to do. Okay. Well, Um, wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Slow down. That's a powerful thought right there. What is in my power to do? That helps us to understand the limits of our compassion. Because we can't change somebody but what's in my power to do? Good. That's a good, good place to start. Go ahead. Okay. Um, and we can get more specifically into that, but I, so when I get these overwhelming feelings now, I'm immediately, the red flag goes on distraction. Remember the race, you know, you have a weight and I pray, Lord, what do I do about this feeling? And I ask that question, what is in my power to do? And these experiences really made me understand that I have triggers um, when I experience someone else's disappointment um, or discouragement. So it's a trigger for me. And some of it is because of some past stuff that's unfinished business. What I realized is that I myself have something that I've come to call a compassion deficit. What that means is I had a block to experience the compassion of forgiveness for my own disappointments and for my own failures in life. And it's not, I mean, I trust, I know I'm forgiven, but there's a level that it wasn't reaching in my heart. Okay. And so I, this experience has, has led me to, even during the day, I just pray and I thank, I thank God and I thank Jesus that they love me. <laughs> thank you for loving me. I just say that, especially when I make a mistake. I'm sorry, I confess this and I, Thank you that you love me. And I've even pictured Jesus embracing the little joy in me and understanding and accepting me. And I hear them say the words of Isaiah 43 to me. You are precious in my sight and I love you. So it's a very personal way to claim their compassion in my life. And what I realize is when we're free to experience 
the compassion of God in Christ, we're free to experience compassion for others in a more balanced and healthy way. Okay. This helped me. All right. So, so, so pause okay. right there. So what, what you're saying is that you, your, your adjustment, your response here is very much internal. It's very much in the processing. Now, we haven't even gotten to the expressing yet. But in the processing, you're changing the whole manner in which you process the emotions that surround your compassion. And folks, this is a really important way for us to put a stop to the, the circle of distraction and destruction. You have to rewire the internal reaction, and that's what Joy is talking about. And Joy, we'll get back to your story in, in, a, in a moment. Um, let's go to a, um, another soundbite from Abby Lammers. Remember, she was talking about the circle of compassion in humanity, and she's a very earthy type of a person in her explanation of this circle of compassion. To be human, to have humanity, is to have an infinite circle of compassion. And yet, all of us are guilty of transgressing that circle through acts of hatred or violence, whether deliberate or accidental. Every time we shun another human, our circle of compassion shrinks a little bit. When we destroy our environment or neglect our neighbors, we become a little bit less human. That's why human is more than just a species designation. It's a goal, it's a virtue, but most of all, it's a responsibility. A responsibility to ourselves, to our planet, and to each other. Okay, so she, uh, she gives you a sense, and, and there's some things, the way she described things, that I would probably look at a little bit differently. But the, the point is, she's saying that we have this incredible capacity for compassion to just flow out of us. And what we're saying here is, yes, we do. But you've got to realize that that compassion, just because you have it, doesn't mean the compassion itself has the power to make other things different. And if we can understand that, then our compassion can really be a tool of growth. So our circle of influence can house many opportunities for proactive compassion with our kids, our spouse, our family, and our close friends. Within that small circle, we can sometimes, we actually can sometimes lift others by the power of our compassion in that small circle of people that we're really, really close to. Sometimes their issues, though, are outside of our circle of influence. Uh, and oftentimes those outside of our circle of influence need our compassion. And then there's the people outside of our circle of influence that need our compassion. So how do we deliver it? When, uh, and, and when, uh, when how, how, how do we deliver it when we can't change things? What do we do? How do we do it? Joy is suggesting that we rework the way we use and manage the emotions attached to that compassion. We need perspective. That's the, that's the key thing here. And Jonathan, here's where you said you wanted to add a, you wanted to really throw yeah, a, a, a monkey a, wrench a into the works. <laughs> a practical question. What about when you have a family or a friend um, who could be constantly taking advantage of you and others that you love? They can be verbally abusive due to their personality, possibly mental illness or addictive problems. They're constantly expecting you to give them what they need financially, emotionally, and verbally with words. They cause stress to all those around them. Is it more compassionate to withhold supporting them in the ways mentioned, or is giving them what they want adding to their destructive pattern? Or is it compassionate to be a doormat? Just, <laughs> just take it. Let them walk all over you. 
you know, I know we're supposed to be persecuted for righteousness sake and we're to forgive 70 times seven. Should we keep this cycle of abuse going, though? No, we shouldn't. That is not the compassionate thing to do. And see, part of compassion, and we will see, especially um, as we get through this segment and into the next segment, that properly placed, compassion is always a principled and powerful tool for righteousness. Always a principled and powerful tool for righteousness. So I also got a note here, compassion, what about compassion when someone's not acting in a godly manner, just like you were to add to your Mm -hmm. list, Uh, uh, not holding someone accountable, to add to your list, being accepting of bad behavior, just like you said, Um, accepting anything goes. No, that's not true compassion. That's cowardice. That's what it is. Because if we are not powerfully based in the principles of righteousness and godliness, then we're not helping, we're hurting. And that's, that's a whole different approach uh, to, to compassion. Joy, any quick, and I want to stress quick comments on that before we go on to some scriptures about uh, the foundation of compassion. Yeah, so for example, if I hired this young man, Gary, I would have been hiring him to do a job that would have ended up hurting him. And it would have and, felt good at the moment. Yes, it would. he would have been so elated and happy. But I had to look at the bigger picture and I had to make that decision. And for his good. Right. And, and for our company's good also. <laughs> and so even though it ripped your heart out to make the right decision, you actually did make the right decision. Yes. And give you credit for that because that's an awfully hard thing to do. So, so Jonathan, that's a good question. We're going to keep coming back to that as we develop. But it, it really makes things practical. You're right. It, it just it adds a whole different dimension here. So let, let's build the foundation of compassion. Let's start with the big, the big compassionate being who created all. God's compassion is always on, always effective, because his plan is eternal and cannot fail. And the thing about God's compassion is you may not see the result of it today, tomorrow, next year, or 10 or 15 or 20 years from now, but you will see it in the future. And that's a promise. Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. The Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. God's compassions never fail. Again, we don't always see the results of God's compassion immediately, but his plan put Jesus in place as the ransom sacrifice. That is a plan of grand compassion. We just don't see the results yet. We see what Jesus came to buy back with his life still happening. All of the crud, all of the mess. We don't necessarily see the compassion of God yet. So while we cannot deliver eternal results with our compassion, we know who can. Okay? God can. God will. Therefore, we should be in contact with the eternal deliverer of compassion about our matters of compassion. Let's, let's go a little bit further. The compassion that Jesus displayed. All right, so we, st- we started with God the Creator. Now we go to Jesus the Son. The compassion that Jesus displayed in his earthly mission 
again, as we stated in the first hour, always delivered, though its results, aside from his teaching, were a temporary relief of earthly pain and suffering. The temporary results of his compassion served as a witness to the unending power of God's love and plan. It was an introduction to say, coming soon to the earth around you is what I'm showing you just a little bit of a a preview of. This is the sneak preview of my kingdom. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So teaching, proclaiming, and using the miracle of healing to draw attention draw attention to his kingdom, which is not of this world. You know, we got a, a, a chat comment in the first hour, didn't get a chance to get to it. it, says, when Lazarus died, we read that Jesus wept. This is a beautiful example also of compassion. Jesus had compassion at every turn. His very life was a statement of compassion. So He was a man of, Rick, he was a man of sorrows. That's part of why. And and he became a man of sorrows, not because he himself, from within himself, had anything to be sorrowful for, but because he took upon himself the sorrows of those around him. That, my friends, is compassion. So our compassion, rather than being a circle of distraction and destruction, should be a circle of sympathetic compassion and prayer. And Joy, you were, you were saying, you said that, we must have said that a hundred times in your description, that the way you began to rewire the emotions around your own compassion was through prayer. It was through the putting it before God and saying, what is it in my power to do? What is outside of my power to do? How can I best affect this situation? I know I can't change it, but what can I do about it? This is all the internal uh, changes that we go through. So one more quick scripture, um, uh, Hebrews 4, 13 to 16. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. See, nothing is hidden. And, uh, you know, and, and Joy, that's what you were saying in your, your experience. You put it before God and you knew that nothing's hidden from him. And he knows. And just because you can't fix it doesn't mean it's not fixable. It's just not yet. Go ahead, Jonathan. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So let's finish up this scripture. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive grace and find, uh, receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So again, Joy, going back to your personal experience and your story, uh, put that in perspective now with the things that we've talked about with God's compassion and Jesus' compassion and your compassion. Well, so obviously God and his plan has created a big, big picture when eventually his compassions never fail. So eventually that 
um, is going to come to pass and every person will experience the compassion of God in Christ. Until then, uh, and we see Jesus' example where he was able to uh, take away the pain temporarily and he was picturing this future kingdom blessing. Um, so we're in a situation where we know we know this truth and we have to trust that that's what's going to take care of it as far as fixing it in the final picture. And it's not my compassion that fixes it, but it is my compassion that can bring the experience before God and put things in a perspective that is important. Our family of listeners is growing and every week. And that's the wrong sound. Oops. <laughs> this is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Joy. Today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? Coming up, let's get practical. How can we be deeply compassionate without being at all destructive? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by messaging us on your app or email us at ChristianQuestions.com. We're unable to take calls tonight. The conversation continues online at ChristianQuestions.com. Contact us there with your questions or comments. Also, interact with us on our Facebook. Tweet us at CQNet Radio, and we're now on Instagram. All right, and Jonathan, uh, during the break, I was handed another message uh, from the uh, CQ app, and it's from a listener, it looks like, in uh, Utah. And she says, I truly appreciate this lesson today. A close friend of mine is going through a very difficult situation in her marriage. I've been struggling with how involved I should get when she asks me for advice. I've prayed about it continuously. I thank the Lord for allowing you to share this program because I've received the answer. God is so faithful to answer our prayers. Amen. And that's the point of the value of understanding. We're limited. And you know what? It's good. It can work out. We can't heal the world around us. It's not our job to heal the world around us. Not here, not yet, not yet, not yet, but soon, but soon. Okay, let's get back, Joy, to your story. So you went through the mental gymnastics of saying, I've got to refigure and, and reset and, and uh, restart, reboot, I guess. Uh, let's use the, the, the technology term. I have to reboot the way I, I frame my personal compassion. So now it comes to applying it, not inside, but outside. What does that look like now for you? Okay, so, um, yeah, there are a couple other steps that the Lord led me to through this whole uh, adventure. Uh, when I ask what's in my power to do, as an employer, one of the answers is make hard decisions that need to be made. <laughs> <laughs> um, however, how I look at it has completely changed because I can look at it as a privilege to help people connect the dots of cause and effect and realize that's part of growing 
that's part of growing as a person. It's part of growing in righteousness. It's part of growing in the bigger picture for these people, even in the kingdom, which we'll get to in more detail. But just thinking of it that way makes it a really different experience. And as we look more into Jesus' compassion, we'll be discussing this, he expressed his compassion with backbone. And there's three illustrations that I've heard in approaches to relationships. Um, and actually, you kind of re it was referred to in the program last week on disciplining children. But one of them is a jellyfish approach. That's being permissive. One is a brick wall approach. That's being rigid and authoritarian. The other is the backbone, which is the approach of having strength of consequences and flexibility of mercy and goodwill. And I am, I see Jesus as exercising compassion with backbone. And I can be a backbone employer in Christ. And that means having the strength of accountability and flexibility, both. And finding a way to be a blessing and to give a person tools to go forward. All right. So you have to have backbone. And backbone is not rigid. It is flexible but strong. And so, Jonathan, that yes. goes back to your, 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 your adding all of those difficult issues earlier. The answer is compassion with backbone. The answer is compassion that is based on principle, based on something bigger, not just based on the feeling. And the problem that we have with our compassion is we interpret our feelings and emotions as the dictation for what our compassion should do and should look like. And that's not it. And we get in trouble <laughs> yes, doing that. Yes, we do. So this segment, we have six principles uh, that we want to touch on about how compassion really, truly works, what we can do, what we can't do, and so, far, so, so forth uh, and so on. So, so while we can't do what Jesus did, we can abide by the principles that Jesus followed. So, Jonathan, what's the first principle? Spiritually-based compassion can be offered without being accepted. All right. So it's possible to send compassion out and have it be not accepted. Let's look at Matthew 23, 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her? How often I would have gathered your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were unwilling. All right, so Jesus gave ample time for his compassion to be received. He never forced it upon anyone. And in this example, he's saying this is at the end of his ministry now. This is just weeks before his, uh, his, his crucifixion. He's saying, Jerusalem, I would have gathered you together under my wings like a hen gathers her chicks. If that's not a picture of deep compassion, I don't know what is. But it says, and you would not. His compassion was sent out and it was rejected by the nation. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, you know, how gracious are we with our compassion? Joy, any thoughts on the, the idea of sending compassion out without it being accepted? Yeah, well, I've <laughs> had that experience a lot. You know, trying, <laughs> well, with, with employees, even in discipline situations or whatever, people don't always respond. But that doesn't cut off my privilege of helping connect the dots for them and helping to give them something that might help them make better decisions. So true compassion, properly applied, can be sent out. It can be a template for connecting the dots. It doesn't mean they have to connect them, but you're showing them how. So that's a good place to start. Second principle, Jonathan, of compassion is what? The choices to receive or reject spiritual compassion 
always have results or consequences. Okay. Every choice to receive or reject spiritual compassion. There's always a result or a consequence. And let's quickly look at a specific result and a specific consequence of accepting or rejecting Jesus' compassion. Specific result we can find in Matthew 20, 32 to 34. And Jesus stopped and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Lord, we want our eyes to be opened. Moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes, and immediately they regained their sight and followed him. And the immediate result is twofold here. The immediate result is they gained their sight. And then the next immediate result is, and they followed him. So they not only took the gift of the moment, they took the gift of the transformed life from Jesus' compassion. Joy, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say their life changed. They made a choice and their life changed for the better. Jesus offered it. They accepted it. All right? That's beautiful. You say, well, shouldn't it always be that way? No, it can't always be that way. Let's look at a specific consequence of rejecting the compassion of Jesus. And that's in Matthew 23, uh, 38. And we just read 23, 37 just a few minutes ago under the first principle. Behold, your house is being left to you desolate. All right. So the consequence of the rejection of the compassion of Jesus upon the nation of Israel. Now, see, this is an interesting thing because every other example we have of Jesus' compassion fixed something. But when it came to the nation, it identified something. It identified something that would need to be fixed. But when it came to individuals, Jesus was able to take care of those individuals in their, in their cer- certain circumstances. And Jesus accepted when people's choices led to consequences. Joy, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a very healthy thing to come to a point to accept other people's choices and to realize they're part of the learning tools for them. And that to be okay with, they made that choice and it really hurts them and it's going to cause disappointment and it's part of their process to grow. So, Jonathan, when we go back to all of those things you brought up uh, a couple of segments ago about, okay, when somebody is, is just, uh, how, how did you describe it? Just just go, go back. I mean, there was just so many things that you said. Just just touch on a few of them. Sure. Um, they they are verbally uh, abuse you. Um, they constantly, um, uh, let's see, they ha- cause destruction everywhere they go, stress. Um, it, it, it's just, it brings you down. So what, what's happening is the demands are greater than the supply should be. And, yes. and, and it's, and it's uh, very, it ends up being very self-centered. And look, sometimes, sometimes there can be mental illness involved with things like this. I think you mentioned that. And, That's right. you know, and, and I've had an experience with exactly that, with, with uh, an individual who, who has issues, you know, bipolar issues. Exactly. And, and you think about, well, okay, you've got you've to give them lead way. Sure you do. But it's still no excuse for not being human and understanding and having give and take. And someday, Jonathan, I'll tell the story of some of those experiences of, of facing off with someone who has those mental issues but being able to talk through those things to say, you know what, it's still not an excuse. Yes, it's a difficult thing, 
but you still have the ability to be human. Joy, go ahead. And at the same time, we can't use it as an excuse to not give the consequence or let the right. consequence unfold in the person's life because that would be destructive. And that's the thing. Let the consequence unfold. Most of the time, we're not in a position to give consequences. You as an employer sometimes are. But for us, most of the time, it's let it be. Just let it be. Are we accepting like Jesus when our compassion is rejected? Because there's still a lesson to be learned, and it's got to be learned at some point. Let's go to principle number three. Whether accepted or rejected, spiritual compassion always brings a valuable learning experience. Doesn't matter if the compassion is accepted or rejected. There's always going to be a valuable learning experience at some point. And that, and, and, and Jonathan, this is one of those veiled scriptures that I think a lot of Christians read but don't absorb. Because now this is in the context of Jesus saying, Jerusalem, you've killed the prophets, you've stoned those who were sent to you, I wanted to gather you together, you would not, your house is left unto you desolate. And then what does he say right after that? Matthew 23, 39. For I say to you, from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, Joy, when you hear those words, what, how, how, do you, how do you put this all together? So, here Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem and offering, him, offering them his compassion, and they, they did not understand it or accept it. As and nation, so their house right. was left desolate. And then, even though he, he had that depth of emotion and was rejected, he gives this prophecy that they are going to eventually see him and say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's when, that's when things are going to turn around and when they will understand and be blessed and accept, accept the Messiah, accept and be healed in the fullest sense in the kingdom. And so what Jesus is prophesying is he's, he's speaking of the casting off of Israel, but he's prophesying of the coming back to favor of Israel. There is a casting off of Israel in Scripture, and there's a coming back to favor of Israel in Scripture. And he's showing both ends. And so his compassion, even though it's being rejected, he's saying, but there will come a time where you're going to see the lesson that you missed here and now. And so, compassion given, spiritual compassion given with godly power and principles always has a greater lesson uh, involved in it. Uh, Jesus knew that the price he paid for all men could not and would not be received by all. Not yet. So the question we have to ask ourselves is, do we have confidence in the long-term spiritual lessons of our compassion? If our compassion is expressed in terms of spirituality and godliness. What's the fourth principle, Jonathan? Rick, spiritual compassion requires maturity and prayer. All right. It, look, if you don't want to pray over it when you're having issues with this, if you don't want to seek a higher level of understanding, then we're really not talking about compassion for you. We're talking about just simple emotion. Emotion can be masked as compassion. We're talking about something that is deeply powerful and godly, in our, in our dealing with one another. Uh, Psalm 35, 11 to 13. Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. 
to the bereavement of my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. So, so Joy, when you hear that psalm and, and that description, it's a, kind of an odd thing. Uh, what, what is the psalmist telling us about compassion for his enemies? Well, I think actually it's a prophecy about Jesus and his yeah. his reaction to those who hated him. And he knew they were sick and he was in mourning for them and he humbled his soul with fasting and he prayed even though his prayer wasn't answered immediately. Because again, we go through this, Israel and the whole world go through this time of grief and sin and, and death. And eventually in the kingdom, that's reversed, and the, the prayer will be answered. So in spite of a lack of response, spiritual compassion still requires us. That's, that's why it requires such maturity and such prayer. And if it required maturity and prayer on the part of Jesus, my goodness, it certainly requires a major amount of, of maturity and prayer uh, on, on our part. And again, emotion our emotions unbridled are not necessarily compassion they can lead us down a wrong path and joy like your experience you told us at the beginning it was detrimental to you it didn't help gary it just it it, it hurt because it was started with compassion but then it went down a road that it wasn't supposed to go down and you figured it out and we're able to back it off and say okay Here's a new way to do this. So powerful, powerful lesson. Uh, principle number five, Jonathan. Spiritual compassion doesn't fix people. It opens doors of opportunity for them. And let's go to Mark 634 for that one. When Jesus went ashore, he saw large crowds, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. All right, so again, it was an open door of opportunity just because jesus taught them doesn't mean they learned so joy your thoughts on, on spiritual compassion not fixing people and i know this was a big revelation for you you know hey you can't fix them but you can give them an, a door of opportunity yeah this is beautiful um i love this scripture so we can see people are like sheep without a shepherd uh people need direction in their life and they need jesus and they may not accept him now, but we can begin to teach them many things by our example, by how we respond to them. We can give people tools now, and it's sowing seeds for the, their future righteous healing time. And we're going to touch on some scriptures on that in, in the next, uh, next segment. So, folks, it doesn't matter if someone is hearing you or receiving the compassion that you truly want to give to them. What matters is that we live up to our responsibility to be compassionate followers of Christ and that we understand what we can and cannot accomplish with our compassion. And Jonathan, the, the sixth principle for this uh, segment. Spiritual compassion is driven by a higher and more powerful cause than our emotions. You gotta get that right. And if you learn nothing else from all of this, Learn that statement. So, Jonathan, Hebrews 12, 2. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So that's going back, Joy, to uh, the scripture that you had talked about earlier about making sure that we are focused on the right thing in the right way. Our spiritual compassion is driven by something much higher than any emotion we can muster. Any thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, um, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame. That word means he made the shame little. Right. And that was a huge issue, to be on the cross, to be humiliated, to be accused, to be blaspheming the God and Father that he absolutely loved. And so he was able to do this. He did not, he was not driven by his emotion. He was driven by something way deeper than that, the joy set before him. And that allowed him to fulfill his mission of being the ransom price for all mankind. And again, that is the greatest gift of the greatest compassion that we can ever, ever imagine. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick with our special guest, Joy. And today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? Coming up, what will be the end result of our compassion if it applied in a godly manner? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Today's episode is, When is Compassion Wrong? We're live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern. That means we're on right now. Join our conversation by messaging us on your app or emailing us at ChristianQuestions.com. We will not be taking calls tonight. Christian Questions, out from the dark ages and into the light of today. Join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so, Joy, let, let's give a give a wrap-up to your the story, especially the story about Gary. I know you've brought other stories into the, into the picture, but it was a traumatic experience to have to tell this young man, no, we can't hire you, it's not going to be good for you or the company or anybody, and it, and it broke your heart. It really broke your heart, and so— when you look back on that and you look back on the things that you've learned since, tell us your, your sense of the results of properly applied compassion. What, what, what do you see now in terms of applying your personal compassion in, in places and circumstances? Okay, so because I have a better perspective on really getting that I can't fix and take away the disappointment of others, but I still have to make the decisions of backbone and strength for consequence that are necessary, my conscience is clear. When you know your limitations and you're doing the best that you can and you make these hard decisions, you're doing the best that you can. And I can't control the other person. I can't control how they feel, but I can control how I express to them the consequence. I can give them tools in the midst of the discussion and, um, yeah, it has a huge effect. So, and that's an interesting thing. So to monitor the success of delivered compassion, it really doesn't matter. The success of delivered compassion is not in the response of the other individual. It's in the checkpoints of spiritual thinking and working in the power of God's God's righteousness. Joy, go ahead. Yeah, so I, I my mind is clearer. I'm not so clouded by these emotions, and I can think more on the spot. Um, 
And I just realize in looking at my experiences now, I'm able to trust the process more, respect the process of my own spiritual growth in becoming Christ-like. Uh, in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, it talks about pressing toward the goal. We're in process. We're not there yet. And uh, Paul talks about letting go of the past. Um, and we don't have control over the past except to learn from it. And But it also helps me to respect the process more of the growth of other people. Right. Their choices are their choices. And the consequences are so valuable. I think of the consequences in my life and how they teach me all the time. Yeah. And I don't want to cheat people of consequences. So that's another really helpful thing. I'm not going to cheat this person of what they could learn and grow from this. So Jonathan, there's another answer to your the question from before is, you know, there are there are natural consequences to our natural behaviors and we just need to make sure we put things in perspective. And this really brings us to the seventh principle of how compassion truly works. Let's go to the seventh one, Jonathan. Christ-like spiritual compassion empowers others and does not enable them to empower and not enable. That's the bottom line. Remember the prodigal son? The father let the son leave. He knew there would be consequences, and he did not interfere, but he did wait for him to return. And so there's great wisdom on the power of the father to let the son experience the consequences of his own immaturity and his own actions. And let's just touch on that parable upon the returning of that prodigal son in Luke 15, 20 to 24. So he got up and came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced and kissed him. And the father said to him, the son said to the father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy of father to his slaves. Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So Jesus' story of compassion here empowered a broken and contrite son to reinstatement. And that's the point. There was an empowerment to the point of being reinstated because the son was allowed to go through the misery of his own decisions. That's the difference between empowering and... Um, and enabling. And, and let's actually go to a soundbite on that. This is from Real Love Nugget with Greg Bear, and it's about compassion uh, versus enabling. Compassion is natural and effortless. Enabling requires a great deal of thought and effort. Uh, in fact, sometimes it's just overwhelming. Compassion is simple. I simply care about you. Enabling becomes unbelievably complicated as the effects of enabling become more and more twisted like a ball of yarn. Compassion is ennobling and strengthening, whereas enabling weakens the other person. Compassion means giving someone what they need. Enabling means giving people what they want. Compassion makes people more independent, while enabling makes people weak and dependent. So, yeah, 
figured out the line between compassion and enabling, and it's not a fine line. <laughs> a lot of times we talk about, oh, there's a fine line between. And what he's saying is, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> it's not a fine line. And the reason it's not a fine line is because compassion is based on principle. And for us as Christians, it's based on godly spiritual principles and godly power. That's what it's based on. And so when our compassion is expressed through that base, it has the power to empower. But when we let our emotions run ahead, then the, the power to empower gets left behind and what, we're, what, we, what we find is enabling. Joy, you look like you're like jumping out of your skin. Yeah, so how grateful are we that our Heavenly Father gives us what we need and not what we want? And yeah. he does not enable us. And Jesus didn't ever enable anybody. And he doesn't enable us either. But what, I mean, think of what would happen if they did. Yeah, no, you're right. What, what, what would happen if God gave us what we want? What would ha- Here's what would happen. We would become the God. That's what would happen. Because God becomes our genie. Your wish is my command. And it's, backwards and that's not spiritual it's as earthly and sensual as you could possibly be so that is compassion all wrong and if we think for one minute that we are being compassionate when we when we treat someone like that we're sadly sadly mistaken and only 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 grief will eventually come from such things joy there was a scripture in first peter 1 8 and 9 that you uh, you you told me i want i i, I want to talk about this at this point. So Jonathan, let's read through that and then let's get to your comments. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Okay, Joy, go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love I love this verse. So the outcome of our, of our faith is not just our own salvation. It's the salvation of souls. The end of the end result of our faith is not just our own deliverance, it's the deliverance of our whole human family. Um, when we can be priests and kings with Jesus in the heavenly glory and have the privilege of bringing the resurrection to the earth and all the people are resurrected and healed and have the opportunity to understand the truth. This is inexpressible joy. And I, what I, I get for my own life is it's also inexpressible joy to have a righteous influence on people now by being a light, by acts of kindness, by the difficult decisions and carrying through with them, helping people again to connect the dots between what they sow and what they reap. It's an inexpressible joy because it's planting the seeds of future deliverance. They may learn from it now, but whatever they don't learn from it now, it's just part of what they're going to learn in the future. And what a joy. There's a bigger picture. There is. There's a much bigger picture. And and let's get into that right now. Because remember, our spiritual compassion now in this age is very limited. It can bring encouragement. It can bring hope. It can bring direction to those who would receive it but it can't fix them. But this is only the beginning. And, and see, the scriptures, Joy, what you were referring to in terms of the future, there's a great scripture in 1 Peter 2, 9 to 12, that unveils exactly what you were talking about. So Jonathan, let's go to that text. 
But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So so here's the thing. It's talking about proclaiming the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Light, that's part of our compassion experience. That's part of our being a footstep follower of Jesus. But remember, our compassion can't change people like Jesus could. But it can help them to understand how to connect the dots. It can encourage them. It can give them something to look forward to. And it can give them something to reject. No matter what the end result is now, the lesson of spiritual compassion will always be learned. And, and we go to verses 11 and 12 of 1 Peter chapter 2, and folks, listen carefully to the context of what's being spoken of here right after it's talking about the great privileges we have right here and right now. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. So even though they don't like you now, even though you may be slandered as an evildoer now, even though the compassion that you express in a godly uh, and principled way may be flatly, utterly rejected, it says they may, because of your good deeds, part of those good deeds is your compassion, as they observe them, glorify God, not now, but in the day of visitation. The glory They will remember, Rick. They yes, will. The lesson of compassion is never wasted. If the compassion is godly and principled and in God's uh, power. So the expression of our present and limited spiritual compassion will have a mighty and Christ-like empowering effect later. Joy, thought? I just love this verse. <laughs> it gives me so much comfort because we can be so, we can be very misunderstood in our Christian lives and our decisions can be misunderstood. And uh, just to realize that the Lord has crafted this plan that makes it possible for us to be part of being a blessing, if not now, then in the future for all of these people. It's just such a privilege. It is. And, and the thing to remember is uh, our compassion, if it's properly expressed, may not be um, received. And it may feel like, well, you know, it's just, it's just being wasted. It's just, and it's just a tiny little thing because you're not, you're not changing somebody's life but later on you can change somebody's life. The thing is to do what's small and seemingly insignificant now so you are learning how to do what is great and mighty by the power of God later. And Jonathan, before we go to our last scripture and, and the principle, it's the principle of the parable of the pounds. Remember each w servant was given one pound and a pound is worth very, very little. And they were, said, they were told, go use it. And then they come back and report what they did with the pound. And somebody who did very little, worked with very little, received like power over 10 cities. And you're thinking, that's crazy. No, that's learning. And just, just a quick story of learning. You know, when I, my daughter Emily, when it came time for her to learn to drive, she, I had no confidence putting her on the road right at the beginning because she had very little eye-hand coordination. 
And so I was thinking about, okay, what do I do? Because she needs to learn how to, how to be mechanical. So I actually had her mow the lawn several times. And we use a hand push mower and you have to pull the lever and move the thing. And, and, you know, and it, it required a lot of coordination. And at the beginning, she would, she just, she'd stall the thing out and dad, you know, and, but after a while it became very natural. And as I watched and it became natural, I thought, okay, now it's time to put you on the road to do something very significant. So that little task of learning made the connections in her mind so she could go out and do something much, much more significant. And that's what the parable of the pounds is. They did something very little and were able to be a part of something very big. Let's go to that Luke 19, verses 16 to 20. And the first came before him, saying, Lord, thy pound hath made ten pounds more. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou was found faithful in the very little have thou authority over ten cities? And the second came, saying, Thy pound, Lord, hath made five pounds. And he said unto him also, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I kept laid up in a napkin. So just think with me, and again, this, this parable is not about compassion. It's about doing the work of God when you have the opportunity. But apply it in principle to compassion. If we go out and apply our compassion and, and you know, you know, that pound earns 10 pounds and it's like, you're still not got a lot of money. It's, we're not talking about, I mean, you're talking like 600 bucks. You know, what kind of investment is that? But he says, you've done so well with so little, I'm going to give you strength and power over 10 cities. Our little faulty compassion now expressed with godly power and principle and righteousness can give us, it's teaching us to be able to have compassion just like Jesus that changes things. Joy, go ahead. Yeah, so we need to invest our compassion wisely. Yeah. And whatever other talents and pounds we have in our power. So, folks, when you look at the whole picture, you look at, at, at compassion, I'll tell you, for me, this particular discussion, this particular study, this particular experience of putting these scriptures in order really opened up some things that I never, never, ever understood about compassion and the great privilege that we have of compassion. Joy, give you 30 seconds to wrap up your lessons. Good luck with that. <laughs> well, I realized from all of these scriptures and studies and experiences, I needed to adjust my compassion expectations. I can accept the compassion of God and Christ for my own failings. That helps me not be confused in with the disappointments and failures of others. I can separate those. And when I feel compassion, I pray to be led to what is the right action. And I know I can't fix people and I can accept my limitations better. And I can trust the process of letting people make their decisions and learn from them or have the pain from them and learn from them eventually, maybe even just in the kingdom, but that's okay. It's just the human experience of learning. And my conscience is clear and I see my my privilege of this job as being a little picture of the kingdom even because I get to give the the help people connect the dots and they might not see it now but it is sowing seeds for the kingdom and I that's the inexpressible joy all right the king joy I need to cut you off we're out of time okay. thank you so so much for being with us we really appreciate your honesty and sharing your very difficult traumatic 
but learning experiences to show us how compassion works in our lives according to scriptural principle. For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another topic. But till then, compassion works spiritually. Think about it. And folks, remember, we love hearing from you. Let us know your thoughts about today's topic, suggest future topics, and start a conversation with us at ChristianQuestions.com.